everybody. I hope you're doing well, and I hope everyone's hanging in there. It's been a rough year so far, but, uh, you know, if we stick together, we can get through this. Uh, this so for this episode, it's the full interview with Al Mitchell, vocalist of Circus of Power. Uh, some of you, I'm assuming, listen to Metal Matters, the Gimme Metal podcast that I host. And a few episodes back, Randy and I did a classic records episode for Vices, a record that came out quite a while ago by Circus of Power. And part of that episode featured excerpts of this interview that I did with Al. And um, the interview was so cool that I wanted to present it to you guys in uh, in its entirety. So that's what this episode's all about. Um, if uh, you haven't listened to the Classic Records episode over at Metal Matters, please do so. We talk in depth about the record Vices. And, um, you know, Al's a cool guy, very interesting. I found out some things about him that I didn't know. Uh, his book, which is out, and, um, you know, stuff like that. It was a good conversation. And I just wanted everyone to hear the full jam and um, enjoy it. And uh, if you are not familiar with Circus of Power, I urge you to check them out. They have a brand new record out called The Process of Illumination. It came out just a, maybe a month or two ago. So uh, check that out. And um, if you want to go back in time and check out Vices and also their self-titled record, you can still find all that stuff on um you know, Amazon, I believe it's on Bandcamp. You can check it out on Apple Music. And uh, yeah, if you like uh, dirty rock and roll, uh, that definitely this is right up your alley. Now, before we get going on that, I just wanted to let everyone know that the new Tombs record, Under Sullen Skies, is going to be available November 20th. Uh, that's on Season of Mist. And at this point, we have two singles that are out. We have Baron and bone furnace and you can check that stuff out you know on youtube there's this animated video for uh bone furnace which i think came out really well and we have a full-on like rock video which is going to be uh premiering later this month for a song called the hunger and that'll be dropping right around halloween so without any further ado i give you al mitchell of circus of power i'm doing a um Classic Records episode on Vices, and I'm also going to talk mm -hmm. a little, little bit about the uh, the, the self-titled uh, debut record. And uh, sure. what I was what I was hoping to do was uh, to get um, just you know, a little bit of conversation from you about those records. But I also want to talk about uh, the new EP that's going to be coming out. Uh, I didn't realize you guys okay. had a brand new record coming out, and uh, yeah, I'll probably run some of that. I'll, I'll definitely have that as part of our episode, and. Um, you know, I'll run that. We can hype that a bit too, because I know in 2017 there was a record that came out. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, the new EP is when is that going to be released? I don't know. That's a Damon question, but soon, like within you know, a week or two. Is there a title for it yet? It's called the process of illumination. And. uh, the current lineup of the band, are there any guys from back in the old days in the band or is it all, you know, a newer lineup? Well, new meaning from, uh, I guess, I guess you guys started playing again back in 2006, right? Yeah, just, you know, a show here and there. 
I mean, a couple of those guys have passed away. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, one very un- – am I on with you on the radio right now? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're rolling now. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, I can cut yeah, stuff so, out. No, I mean, look, our drummer committed suicide. Um, the original drummer, who was a really good friend of mine also, like uh, one of my best friends, uh, about six months ago. So uh, that was um, a shock and – and just, you know, something that was really hard to deal with. Original um, guy, the guy that played on the debut album and on Vices. Uh, the bass player from those records, um, I don't know. I've heard all kinds of things, but I, no one's heard from him from forever either. So really, the only guys would be me and Gary and Ricky, you know, uh, unfortunately. So, um, you know, Gary's still doing stuff on his own. Like solo records, kind of uh, singer-songwriter kind of stuff. It's pretty good. And um, Ricky, I haven't talked to in years. Well, first of all, I'd like to say I'm sorry uh, for your loss. That's um, you thank know, you. Yeah, dude, I, 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 that's that's terrible. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh man, suicide is the fucking. I, I don't know if I can swear on this. I probably shouldn't. But no, go ahead, man. It's, it's yeah. uh, all right. Well, it's just a, it's just a horrible thing, man. I mean, being hit on his motorcycle or, you know, uh, getting hurt at work and dying or something like that. That's one thing. That's, that's horrible. And yeah, you know, I would have been super upset and everything, but having him go that way was just something. It's just, you don't understand it and it's confusing and it makes you also mad, um, Adam and, uh, you don't understand any of it. So it, it just, uh, it took the hell out of me for, for God, three or four days, man. I, you know, crying and, I'm really upset and drinking <laughs> that no. kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So anyways, he's, he's passed and he was a great guy and life goes on. Yeah, man. It's, that's tough. You know, but yeah, uh, yeah I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, back in uh, 2017 uh, on four. Uh, the, so is the new EP going to be kind of a continuation of what you guys were doing back on that last LP? Not quite. Um, th- that LP um, has, a bunch of different styles of music on it, um, which I like. Yeah. But um, this one is pretty pretty much just like dirty rock and roll, all six songs. Um, you know, no slowing down. Um, you know, the other the other record had some spoken word kind of stuff on it. Right. And country, you know, David Allen Coe, Rolling Stones kind of stuff on it. And this one uh, just stayed straight, uh, straight with, the, with the rock and roll. Are you guys still based on the? You're still based on the East Coast, right? Is it around the New York no. area? Oh, okay. All right. Los Angeles. Ah, okay. So yeah, Los Angeles. I've been here for 20 years. Oh wow! And All then right. the bass player Sharky, uh, he's from Brooklyn, uh, and um, our drummer Scotty is a, a East Coast guy too, a New York guy, uh, but he's out here. Um, and then Billy and. And uh, Joe, the other two guys that are playing with us now are um, California guys, pretty much. Uh, you know, in the video uh, for the song, the, the, the video that from um, from the 2017 record, uh, what the hell's the name of that Fast song? Fast and Easy? Yeah, that's it, the Fast and Easy song. That looked like California. There was something about... Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the the low well, rise. Well, I got a poncho on. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> something about that video had an LA vibe to it, so I should have put two and two yeah, together. Yeah, it's, sh- it's shot in Van Nuys, in yeah. Van Nuts, as I call it. 
um, <laughs> where our studio is, uh, uh, where we record, yeah. it, it, which has become like a gnarly fucking homeless area. Like just hundreds of people, man, just over the last couple of years. It's crazy. Yeah, I noticed that about L.A. the last few times that I've been there. And, you know, this past year, there's no traveling. So I've been hearing a lot of stories about Los Angeles and, uh, you know, homeless population, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, one thing is weather. So, uh, you know, um, if you're homeless, you want to be here or you want to be in Florida or somewhere where you're not going to freeze your ass off. But, you know, I mean, there's 11,000 vets uh, uh, on, uh, that went to war that are on the street. 11,000 just LA alone. So it's not just a, you know, it's, it's a problem, a, a myriad of, of things go into this, uh, you know, rents being sky high, because if your rent's super high, and you're just a regular Joe like me working Joe. And all of a sudden, yeah, okay. I'm living in my van, you know, things didn't go so right. Maybe I broke my leg and I couldn't afford to pay the hospital. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, I'm living at the beach in my van. And then all of a sudden I get in with the wrong guys and start, you know, doing some drugs or something. And it's just, a, it's an endless cycle, man. Once you're, I've been, when I was a kid in Florida, I was about 21 and I, I, uh, I was homeless for a few, I lived in my van for a few weeks and it is, I don't know if you've ever been on the street, but like, it's gnarly. It's not a place anyone wants to be. You can't even find a place to go to the bathroom. You can't get food. It's a fucking nightmare. You know, and people have mental problems and all that. Like, you go downtown L.A. now, it's insane down there. It's like Day of the Dead down there. You know, um, it just people are just zombies walking around zombies. It's scary. So, and I don't have the answer, but I know that something ain't right. Yeah, for sure, man. And, uh, I mean, even in New York City, uh, even right before, yeah. right before the, um, you know, the pandemic, yeah. I just noticed uh, – it, it was starting to turn back to the eighties. It felt like, and, uh, well, the eighties were good. <laughs> That's when I moved to New York was in 1980. And look, it was, it was, you know, I was a kid from Florida, 20 year old kid from Florida moving up there, you know, uh, in my surfing baggies in my white shirt in my suntan, you guys, you know, I was like a target as soon as I moved into that the neighborhoods I was living in were serious, you know, gang ridden, neighborhoods where the rent was super cheap though you know and you was living around a lot of interesting people um and you'd see andy warhol in the street you'd see richard hell uh johnny thunders and and you know the people in that neighborhood um and it was great i mean it was dangerous but like i was a kid man i was you know just trying to uh it was a, a wonderland to me of good and bad you know but like um, you learn to defend yourself and walk, walk the walk, you know, once you get there. But my point is, there was a lot of great art coming out of there, and a lot of great music, and actors, and uh, activists, and all kinds of interesting people. Whereas now it's like it's like walking through, it's like a college town now, you know, at least the Lower East Side, you know. Um, over the last couple of months, I've heard some horror stories about all the shootings and stuff that was going on. So I don't. I don't know the old place like I used to, but it, it, during the eighties, New York was an amazing place to live. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for as far as like great bands, great music, great art. And, right. uh, but there oh, was yeah. that, that element that was, uh, you know, present, which sort of, I guess, weeded out a lot of people as well, which is, uh, you know, probably one of the reasons why there was such an interesting uh, thing going on in New York. 
Yeah, I mean, like brought me up there, you know. I I heard um, I was down in Florida, and we heard like the Bad Brains record and Minor Threat, and I was like, I'm going up there, man. You know, <laughs> I'm not staying down here. I'm going up there, and um, yeah, I was into the Heartbreakers, Johnny Thunders, and you know all the punk rock stuff, and um, you know that's where I wanted to be. CBGBs. Yeah, New York Dolls, Johnny Thunders, all that New York stuff was great. And, and Ramones. Uh, Ramones are the kings. Forget about what they say in the UK. The punk rock started in the US with the Ramones and the Stooges. Oh, yeah. Band, New York Dolls. Unless, yeah, unless you ask Johnny Rotten, of course. <laughs> so let's talk about the, uh, the band in the beginning. Because I remember the first uh, time I heard of Circus of Power, there was the Vices video. So it wasn't until like 1990 that I found yeah. out about the band. Um, oh, I love that, that video. That's my favorite one. It's great, man. It's and it it, it pretty much grabbed me because, uh, for me on a personal level, I listened to hard rock when I was like you know a young kid. Then I got into punk and hardcore and metal. You know, yep. like, like Slayer and stuff like that. And, yeah, I love Slayer. Yeah, man, totally. And then stuff like Danzig and the Cult sort of brought me back, started to bring me back into rock, like hard rock music, and right, uh, Circus of Power fit really well into that hard rock like dirty rock but with like this punk sensibility yeah. you know yeah i mean yes that's that's where we were at um and uh, you know influenced by all that stuff but also you know dudes that loved Leonard skinner and um uh van halen and, and things like that too you know um but uh a lot of the, I mean, what what took off was the scene in L.A. and you know, um, uh, I loved the Four Horsemen from that era. I think that band was great, and uh, Junkyard and um, and Guns N' Roses. And there was some good stuff happening. I remember when things started to shift. I was hanging out at this record store on Second on Second Avenue called Free Being, and I would hang out there because the guy that owned the place flew over to England every week every week and brought back records on the weekend, you know, and, um, so that was kind of the latest thing, what was going on over there. And he was bringing over Zodiac Mime Warp, uh, 45s and, and records. And, uh, and I was like, wow, this is new. This is fresh. This is awesome. And the cult put out electric and, and Guns N' Roses came out. So there was this great, great time for a few years, you know, and, um, then it started changing and that's, that's fine too. Well, in New York, you mentioned L.A., but I feel like in New York around that time had had kind of its own sort of hard rock, like, you know, dirty yeah. rock scene with... Uh, Raging Slab. I was just going to mention them, Raging Slab. I would even say Warrior awesome. Soul. Warrior. The, the early Raging Slab, especially, is fucking crazy. Uh, before they got signed to RCA, they did a record, uh, 40, uh, a 12-inch EP called True Death, which is probably their hardest record you know it's got super fast double bass double kick drum kind of um you know speed metal and then it breaks into this you know down 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 and this big happy riff and it's like man when i heard those guys uh, it was like when i first heard the bad brains i was just like whoa what are they doing and like and like now what are we gonna do <laughs> because they were really good at what they did like they were just it was fresh you know what i mean they were bringing a fresh approach to the whole thing which i really admired and um and they had this uh you know girl playing slide guitar who was great playing in all kinds of weird you know tunings and things and 
we hung out with them and played with them. They're crazy fuckers, those, those people. Um, we, you know, many late nights with them um, and lots of fun. Back in the 80s, with all these bands uh, happening, was that more of a, like a CB's thing? There, was it, uh, do you guys ever do anything out in Brooklyn at Lemoore's or was it, you know, it was. No, it was, it was mostly at this place called the Lismore Lounge. It wasn't at CB's and it wasn't really in Lemoore's. Um, it was a place called the Lismore Lounge on Second Avenue. Uh, and it was this dingy place that used to be like a, uh, it was a Puerto Rican kind of bar before, like, and then, um, it, you know, somebody somebody bought it and just kind of left the decor up and turned it into a rock and roll club. And um, that's where, like, us and Slab played and Cycle Sluts from Hell played and people that came through town that were, like, John Spencer, um, before he got the Blues Explosion, played there. Um, stuff like that. Not so much metal stuff, but rock and roll, you know? Um, the Lemoore's was more straight-up metal, uh, which is, you know, also great. Yeah, but uh, Lismar was like, you, you get all kind of, Warrior Soul played Lismar, and uh, also, and it was that whole crew was, was doing the Lismar thing, um, and the little local band. It was a great club. It was like uh, upstairs and downstairs, small place, and it was um, insane in there, <laughs> basically. Uh, my, our, the drummer that we were talking about before, he was a bouncer, uh, Ryan, <laughs> at the door. And uh, the cycle slut girls were uh, the bartenders, so I mean, you can imagine what went on. And then um, it just got the place got really rough, man. It, there's, there's a lot of violence and things that went down in there, and it ended up closing. But it's one of those things that it just it was it, it was like a, a shooting star, you know. It it came and burned super brightly for a short time, and then went away. And we all kind of went, wow. And then like later on, you know, at the time you don't really care that much, but then when you look back on it later on in the years, you're like, wow, that was the place, man, for, for a while. Yeah. That happens in life where it's like, you go through these phases and at the time, you don't, you just think it's going to last forever and then it's over. And then you look back like five years later and you're in a different place and you're like, wow, whatever happened to that time, man, it just goes. Well, that's, that's, that's the whole existence of life Yeah, is that you don't realize you're having such a great time. <laughs> uh, and you, cause you just, you just, you live it in the moment. So, you know, and everyone's the same. No, no one's any different than, than we are. I mean, it, you live it in the moment and then later on, even like some, some times you had that were like really up and down for a year or so. Now you look back at that and you're like, God, those days were filled with adventure and chaos and great stuff. Yeah, I had some bad times, but like overall, that was a great year, you know? And for me, those, like, you know, getting older and, and, and wisdom and all that stuff is, is great. And um, not doing the stupid shit I used to do is, is great on one hand, and on the other, you know, I kind of miss getting stupid and also wonder how I ever survived all that stupidity. How did you uh, put the band together? How'd you guys all meet? Well, uh, me and the guitar player were, had come up from Florida and, um, a lot of people from Miami came up to, went up to New York, you know, uh, kind of, uh, uh, made their way up to New York. So, uh, you know, I was hanging, hanging out in a Mexican bar, getting drunk on tequila. And you know, the, the guitar player was, I was like, let's do this. 
I was hanging out at that, at that uh, record store. I was telling everybody, I was like, let's do this rock and roll band because we were into punk rock and, and rock and roll and you know all kinds of stuff in you know old school country and all that all that good stuff. But we um, so we threw it together and it was one of those you know you it's like you get in a bunch of bands and then you get in this one band where it's like oh okay this is it you know this is the chemistry that that you know uh, the, the great bands had. If you look at the great rock and roll bands, the chemists like Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin, every guy in the band is unreal. The drummer's great, the bass player's great, the guitar player's great, the singer's great, you know, and in our case, we, we were able to get a bunch of guys who, you know, thought the same way, and and really, I mean, we were at our best the, the first couple of years. I don't know what would have happened if we would have stayed together or not. It's hard to say. Well, I think it's the best record overall. Definitely the best record. And, um, and then... But I like some songs off Voices, and I like some stuff off the last... I love, love Mama Tequila off the last record, you know, the third record. Um, but overall, the, the first record was the best one because we were still the most... We were still really hungry and still, like, it was before all the drugs and, and uh, booze and fucking up started happening, you know, from everyone, including me, um, except for maybe Gary. Gary was a good boy. Um but, you know, we just kind of lost focus. And I kind of, I take my hat off to bands that are able to keep it together, man, through all the, you know, all that kind of thing. When money started getting handed to you and, um, you know, you don't have to work anymore and that kind of thing. But even more so like a guy like Neil Young, who's been doing this shit for 50 fucking years and still comes out with a good song once in a while and his politics are cool and all that stuff. I really, you know, I don't see how they they do it. It's it's amazing and it's great. I mean, even Guns N' Roses, there's three or three, or three of those guys that are still in that band. Although I, I miss Izzy being in that band and actually the drummer too. Um, but it's hard, man, to get. A, you know, it's like it's like having five girlfriends being in a band, basically. You know, and just trying to figure that one out. You know, and keep all those relationships good. It's impossible. I, I oftentimes say being in a band is like having five girlfriends, but worse. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Being five girlfriends, girlfriends at this point as a band goes, the more you get familiar with each other, you know, you, the more you know where to stick the knife in, you know what I mean? And, and uh, so, like I said, it, I, I admire bands that have kept it together for such a long, long time. It's, it's amazing. Um, I wish we would have been able to do more stuff while the other two guys were still alive. Now, with, uh, when you guys got signed to RCA, I believe that was the label that put up the... Um, yep. Yeah. Now... Obviously, a lot of stuff changed, and you kind of hinted at that. You know, you have more money around, not having to work a day job. Uh, one of the right. things I focused on was the guy who produced those that record, who produced Vices, Daniel Ray. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we were talking about the Ramones. We were talking about Rage and Slab. So was that a personal thing, or did the label fix that up, or how did you guys come to work with him? Well, he, you know, our first demo we did in his mom's basement in New Jersey, you know, um, which might be our best recording, actually. It's four songs. Uh, it's it's Backseat Mama, Call the Wild, 
um, Dreams Tonight and uh, Motor. And it's really captured. You know, you can go to the best studios in the world, but and sometimes you'll get it, sometimes you won't. But like sometimes you just be in some little somebody's basement, and the, the magic happens, and the recording's right, and you know everything's good. So, anyways, we did. You know, he got assigned. He took our our, our demo to RCA and got assigned. So we did the first two records with him. Um, first record I, doesn't sound nearly as good as it as it should have. But, you know, we're all on a sort of learning curve at that point. Vice sounds a lot better, but the the first record just doesn't sound as good. Uh, but, you know, it was, uh, we were just like, get out there and do it. And uh, they stuck us in a record plant, you know, where the, all these amazing musicians have made records, John Lennon and Patti Smith and Springsteen and all these people. And it was a good time. Touring-wise, I remember, I, I remember vaguely, uh, you guys touring with um, with Black Sabbath actually, and yeah, the second record, yeah, yeah, and um, but that was kind of at a weird time, even like for them and yeah. for hard rock music too. Yeah, well, we got we got shitty tours. All the, we never got a good tour. You know, we went on. We were going to go on. Uh, we started with Alice in Chains and um, Masters of Reality. That was the best bill we ever got on. And that was supposed to go for about thirteen shows. And um, I don't know if you've heard of Masters Reality. They're great. Okay. Well, they, yeah, well, they were also playing the Lismore Lounge, the place I was telling you about at that time. You know, nobody knew about them, but we did. And because uh, Chris Goss is so great. Chris Goss is the guy uh, that produced um, Queens of Stone Age records, the really great one, uh, uh, Restricted the Blue and White one. Um, and he, he did some other work with them. I think he did the Red record too. So Chris Goss was the guy. He pretty much is Masters of Reality. So when we played with them, Ginger Baker from Cream was playing drums for uh, uh, Masters of Reality. So that was, you know, if you're a musician, uh, then it's like, oh, great, I get to watch somebody incredible tonight, you know, play drums. But uh, that tour only lasted two shows, and Lane was in a bad way, you know. He was in a bad, bad way. And... Um, he, he just lost it and, you know, couldn't, wasn't able to perform anymore. Um, and so it fizzled out after two shows. I'll tell you a quick lane story, which is really pretty wild. I was on their tour bus one night and they were trying to keep lane straight, you know, which is like good luck because if you're, you know, an old druggie like me or us, <laughs> you know, back in those days, you'll find a way to get it, man. You know I mean? If, I don't care. But the guy's seven feet tall, 400 pounds, that's guarding you. You will find a way to get drugs if you want them, or booze, or whatever you need. So, anyways, I was on the tour bus in the back, and, and everyone's getting wasted, hanging out, blah, blah, blah. And Lane went into his pocket and pulled out like a handful of, of every color pill I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you know, like, and had and like 30 or 40 of them. And I was like, dude. I'm good, man. But like, rock on, do what, do what you want to do, you know. And so he sat down. With, you know what an etch sketch is from the '60s? Okay, so he sat down. For any of your listeners that are not, uh, you know, uh, that are over, <laughs> like in between your 20s and 50s, you might you you might want to Google that. But they're really cool etch a sketch. Um, these, these these toys that were for kids in the '60s, where you turn these two dials, and they would make this 
this pencil mark go across the screen, the screen, so you could, you know, sort of create these weird drawings, but all in a linear way. You could, it couldn't like bend the curve or anything. Anyways, so he sits down with this thing, and I see him, you know, fucking around with it and doing this, doing that. And about 15 minutes later, he gets up. He could barely stand. He's like about to fall over, and he hands me the etch a sketch. It's a a perfect, a perfect drawing of me as Jesus Christ, but like with the quality of like, you know, Michelangelo or, you know, like Da Vinci, so just beautiful artwork. And I was like, and Jerry looked at me and nodded his head. And I was like, wow. You know, I mean, he, he kind of, he had a gift, you know, uh, obviously a great singer too. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of uh, Alice Chains. They're still actually pretty good, even though they have like that, the new singer um, who sounds uncannily like Lane. But uh, right, I haven't checked it out. I know. I mean, maybe they are, but that was another band that just had this great chemistry that was uh, undeniable. Great drummer, great bass player, great guitarist and singer. And and Lane, as dysfunctional as he was, was a very powerful presence and very powerful bummer kind of lyrics. But they're still like great, you know. Um, and uh, when they were recording Dirt. Uh, it was across from this this Irish pub or English pub uh, called the Cat and the Fiddle in Hollywood, and across the street is where Dave Jordan's studio was, where they were recording Dirt. And I went across there one day, and they were doing that song "Them Bones" for yeah. Sorrowful Records, and it's in a seven eighth time or something really weird, some weird timing. And they were just Jerry was in there, just like ripping all these crazy harmonies like you know first take like you know yeah no problem wow, wow you know like just like very talented guy man very talented band um yeah it's just, just interesting to be around uh you know and so anyways didn't jerry cantrell do uh didn't he play uh play on one of your records wasn't there like a yeah, guest appearance on, with him on, played on, on uh, magic of madness yeah yeah the one uh yeah yeah he was you know um i was hanging out with him for a while yeah and back in the, the around that time and ian asbury and, and you know it was a, the big hollywood scene and uh and then a band split up and i had to go back to work <laughs> my life completely took a 180 and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me now during the uh, the sort of interim when the band was broken up. I mean, I, I've always, I, I really enjoy your lyrics. So like, as far as that doesn't seem like something that you would be able to turn off. Like if there was no, no. band. So I'm, I'm asking you, I guess, did you write all through that period and did you perform or did you do anything different? Yeah, I did some stuff, did some stuff with my friend, Billy, you know, some, uh, some CDs and stuff. There's some good stuff we did for sure. Um, he's still playing with us. And, um, yeah, I'm always doing stuff. I mean, now I have a book out. Oh, I didn't uh, even know that. It just that. came out a week ago. Yeah, yeah. It's called Carrie, um, Confessions to a Dead Lover. And um, it's about, um, <laughs> well, it's this book about this insane um, girl. Uh, it's ba it's mostly based on this one girl that I was uh, into. And then a couple of others personalities kind of crept in there, and I ended up creating sort of a a mishmash of characters. This girl named Carrie, um, 
And it's an intense love story with lots of booze and sex and violence and car crashes and cops and cuts on the forehead and um, rolling around in blood in the bedroom floor and all this crazy stuff. But really what it is is this intense love story between two people. And the um, book came out great. People love it. So I'm trying to trying to um, keep, keep that rolling. But anyway, so the way to get it is to friend me on Facebook. You don't have to be my friend, but you get you got to friend me on Facebook. Uh, it's Al Mitchell, not Alex Mitchell. It's Al Mitchell. And if you if you friend me, then um, it's it's through PayPal and uh, and all that stuff. You get a signed copy. So um, and people will love it. It's even if you don't read, um, you like you like it. I wrote a book for people that don't read. <laughs> that's awesome. That's pretty funny. Uh, that's possible. Well, you know what? If you're into uh, Charles Bukowski and John Fante and and Steinbeck and that kind of stuff, and or even Henry Rollins and stuff, then you know, this is something to like. Yeah, John Fonte, man, that's that's kind. Of, if you read Fonte, you kind of see where Bukowski got his whole a lot of his style from, and also Hemingway too, you know. Yeah, Hemingway's great. The thing about Hemingway is he's a very simple writer. He's yeah. not a wordsmith at all. He's very simple. I mean, the old man in the sea is like it looks like a child wrote it, you know. Um, he's brilliant though, and I think Steinbeck, who is who is the opposite, who is a wordsmith and is a really great descriptive, you know, writer. Um, you know, uh, yeah, those guys are amazing. And, and, and Fonte, I really, really like Ask the Dust. I don't like his other books so much. Ask the Dust is great, though. And Bukowski, man, he wrote like, you know, he did like 50 great books. Yeah. And yeah. He, is to, he is dismissed as this drunk, uh, woman bashing um, guy who's, yeah, kind of a genius. But he's, he's such a great writer. And, you know, yeah, the guy had, guy was faulted like we all are you know but he he was just a great writer and very tender and at times too not just a, a hooligan with a typewriter you know but just a really great fantastic writer and i like the story with bukowski is that a friend of his loved his writing this is before he he uh put out any of the books the guy that started black sparrow press told bukowski I'll give you $1,000 a month for the rest of your life if you write books all the time. So that was the deal they made. And then 30 days later, Bukowski turned in his first book. I don't know which one it was. but um, And the guy said, how did you do that in just 30 days? And Bukowski said, desperation. That's a, yeah, that's that that I didn't know that story, but that that's awesome, man. And and I, I it's yeah. funny people do dismiss him, but some of his like, like I find that the like the the heartache in in a lot of his writing, it's like really poignant. And I don't I don't think he's like a, a I mean a lot of people call him a misogynist, but I don't I don't believe that at all. I think that it's just the opposite. Well, here's what I think. Yeah, I know, but look, there's they got him on film kicking a woman, you know. Wow, and, yeah, and, that's true. Yeah. It's just doing stupid shit. But here's the deal with all that stuff, man. It's like my father was an old school guy from Scotland, you know, that came over to Canada when he was 20 years old with no money in his pocket. And with my mom, and that's where I was born in Toronto. And you, you come back in those. It was different back then, that and the way men and women the woman's role in society and in the household and what the man did and all the racism, all the shit that went on. 
that's what happened back then. People didn't know, you know. And that's what my father, for example, it, as he as, as time went on with his mother, he with, with my mother, he started. My mother was a real boss, and like you know, not a boss, but she was a real. Without my mother, she was the glue in our household. Without my mom, my father never would have functioned at all. My father was a great guy, super charismatic, good-looking guy. You know, people loved him. He was, a, you know, uh, the first guy at the party and the last one to leave on the dance floor, getting in fights, drinking like a man, you know, typical Scotsman. But and my mother was the one that kept it together. And, and when I got later on in life, I realized that, you know, my mother was the tough one in that household, the real tough one. And... Um, you know, men just didn't know back then. And if you look at Bukowski, the way he was brought up by a really boorish father that beat the shit out of him, you know, and treated his mother like crap and all that, then that, well, that's what he that's where he came from. That's what he learned. And it's hard to break out of that mold, you know, unless you do some good LSD or you've got some good friends that, you know, have an influence on you, um, which I did actually both those things. I did. I did the, the hallucinogenic thing, and I had some friends that were just really a lot smarter than me and, you know, turned me on to a lot of great books, a lot of great music. Oh, listen, here, I'll check this out. This is John Coltrane. Oh, check this out. This is oh, this is a book by Carlos Castaneda. Or, you know, and I was a kid in Florida that didn't know his ass from a hole in the ground, you know. And um, I was lucky to have those good influences early in my life. Um, otherwise, I don't know what I'd be doing today. Yeah, you know, that, life is like that, man. If you you take one one turn, one left turn instead of a right, and your your life completely changes. You know, it can it completely change. Life could turn on a dime, and that's the way it is. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's a thing that a lot of people never realize that how all the different options that you have. You know, if, if right. you went right or right instead of left, you you could be a completely different person like ten years from that point. You know. But the thing with Bukowski, get back to that, is that I do think he was very talented. And I do think that like what you're saying is true in a way. I don't think he hated women. I just think he was putting on a front, you know, and I think he was very insecure as a man in a lot of ways. Low self-esteem as a man in a lot of ways. And you know what? That's part of reckoning uh, as a person. And as a man, you got to deal with that stuff and, and, and come to terms with who you are and how you treat women, how you treat other people and all that stuff in this world. That's, you know. That's the way it is. That's so awesome. One guy man. does this, and one guy does that. The guy that used to have Bukowski's books uh, in Hollywood it's called Beyond Baroque. It's closed now. It was his bookstore over off of Hollywood Boulevard, and Red. The guy's name was Red. He's mentioned in a lot of Bukowski's books. And this place was so great. You would go. The first time I went there, the door was locked, and he had a bunch of signed books by Fonte and Bukowski in the window. Right, with a bunch of money now, with a lot of money. Yeah, I wish yeah. I would have bought them all. And so I knock on the door, and he, he like cracks the door open. He goes, "What do you want?" I go, "Well, I, I, you know, I was going to come in and uh, buy some books. Because which ones?" <laughs> I go, "Dude, <laughs> you know, I, I was going to look around and like, uh, you know." And he goes, "It's like a long pause, awkward pause." Uh, he's like, all right. <laughs> and that's the way that guy was. He was this gnarly old character, like very much like Bukowski, an old, you know, an old stickler um, who had all these great books. And I wish that place was still open, but like a lot of, just like about everything in Hollywood, um, it's close and gone. 
before we uh, sign off, can you just give me one like uh, encapsulated thing about uh, the book that you have out and also the new EP just together so I can have that as a piece of audio that I can put together into the into my uh, my episode when I edit it? Sure. Buy my new book. It's called Carrie, Confessions to a Dead Lover. It's the greatest book written this year. And um, the other thing is by Process of Illumination, our six-pack of songs that will get you drunk on rock and roll. Uh, and that's coming out on Noise in the Attic Records any day now. To get in touch with me about these things, Al Mitchell on Facebook. Not Alex Mitchell, but Al Mitchell. That's how you get the book, and that's how I'll steer you in the direction of our EP, which you're going to love, too. And God love you. See you later. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Al. And, uh, you know, once again, man, I appreciate doing this on such uh, short notice. And, um, you know, have a good weekend, man. I'll I'll be, be well, you know. Yeah, thank you so much. Great to talk to you, man. You got it, bro. Take care. 